Welcome to Season 2 of the Gamers Change Lives Podcast. In Season 1, we learned about entrepreneurs and others around the world who were creating jobs and opportunities through esports. The one common theme throughout the season was that it takes money to create jobs and change lives. But let's face it, money can be hard to find, especially in some parts of the world, maybe in your part of the world. But this season, we are going to share stories from esports entrepreneurs in emerging markets and showcase how they found funding they need to be successful. We're also going to talk to investors in Africa, Asia, India, who have invested in esports and highlight the challenges that those markets face. In addition, we're going to talk about sponsors who provide funding to teams, tournament organizers, and streamers. Join us on this journey for Season 2 of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, aptly titled, Follow the Money. And now your host, Tom Leonard. Hey there, I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. When it comes to esports, I'm definitely not the expert. I'm more of an explorer. We talked to esports entrepreneurs and others around the world to hear their stories, to hear how esports can create jobs and to hopefully inspire others. Our tagline is play games, create jobs, change lives. And our season two, which we're starting out on here at the, the Gamers Change Live podcast, is titled Follow the Money. It takes money to change lives and to create jobs. Now, today I'm honored to have Luca Tacconi from Cape Town, South Africa. He's the National Gaming and Esports Specialist at Red Bull. Welcome, Luca. Thank you, Tom. Pleasure to be here. Now, I remember talking, uh, when I first started the uh, uh, organizing the podcast, I was talking to Cholwe uh, in Zambia, and she said, you've got to have Luca on there. So <laughs> we always thought that is a, is a really good um recommendation to have. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and what led you into esports and gaming. Awesome. Yeah, well, thank you, Cholwe. Amazing, amazing lady there running a fantastic team out in Zambia. Seen some of her players actually make the trip to South Africa. So also great, great industry and scene out there. But yeah, so a little bit on myself. Um, uh, Luca Tacconi, uh, I started, you know, really gaming as, as most would have probably being influenced by a sibling. In my case, it was my older brother on the PlayStation one. Um, I think I was a young six, seven year old boy and, and watching him play games like Metal Gear Solid and, uh, uh, your Abe's Odyssey's just absolutely hooked me to to kind of the entertainment factor of gaming uh, from there I never really dove very deep into kind of the uh, industry obviously I was a young boy and, and really focused more on the entertainment side I was always quite competitive when it came to sport um, so once I entered high school I met a group of individuals who were already very involved in the local esports scene from a, a battlefield perspective uh, you might remember the, the game battlefield 2 very popular here back in South Africa uh, when it was released one of the first few games that had very active online servers um, from there, uh, moved into a more competitive scenario, um, kind of late, I would say late 2016, um, or, or rather, she's big mistake there, uh, late 2005, 2006. Can you believe it? it's already been two decades? But, um, I started playing Call of Duty 4, uh, one of the popular CODs uh, back in the day. It was almost the last Call of Duty that was uh, uh, focused on competitive play on computer. It's mostly moved into console from then. But uh, yeah, I would say from 2006 to 2013, was competing in the local circuit for a team by the name of Bravado Gaming, uh, one of the top organizations locally in various gaming titles. I captained the Call of Duty team uh, from 2011 to late 2013. Uh, we actually won the 
Telcom D, uh, DGL Championships uh, two years running, so definitely one of my more fond achievements. Um, at the end of 2013, I realized there was very much a lack of local tournament providers. Um, Telcom was essentially the only brand really supporting a consistent tournament program uh, throughout the year, obviously ending in the big finals at Rage Expo towards the end of the year, so it was always a highlight for everyone. But for someone that was kind of moving into his early 20s, started to realize we need to actually either move out of the space or find a way to make a living in this space, which I think, you know, speaks quite, quite well to your podcast. And, um, end of 2013, decided to start my own agency by the name of Arena or Online Arena, um, and ran that up until about 2018. Um, and from there, actually joined the team here at Red Bull. Uh, they were very, very in need of a of a gaming specialist at the time, as kind of the industry started to grow here. So I was more than happy to to take on that role, and um, have been here ever since. So late 2018 up until 2022, I've been running the the esports program for Red Bull in South Africa. Obviously, tying into a global program which Red Bull has been supporting for the better half of the last two decades. But obviously, very fresh here in South Africa. So yeah, kind of the small little update there of myself <laughs> no, that's great that's great awesome yeah red bull is yeah, just doing so many things in um in esports and we, we don't want to have a conversation today just about what, what red bull is up to we want to have a broader conversation but i did want to ask about the way red bull is organized because obviously red bull does promotion outside of esports so so where does red bull uh, where does esports fit into into the red bull marketing um, fire hose out there. Yeah, well, if, if I could put a kind of a light stamp on it, it would be it's a very high priority. One of our top three, I would say. Um, obviously, as we know, gaming, I would feel almost for all brands has become an extremely high priority because our, our kind of that key age group, those late teens to mid twenties have almost become like the main target for most companies. Um, and obviously gaming is the kind of tool or, or avenue that speaks to that age group very, very actively. So, a top priority for us where essentially we treat our gaming events or projects, our gaming players or athletes as we would treat a major sports project or a major sports athlete. They get treated in the exact same manner, exact same priority, um, same formats and ways of working. So it's right up there in terms of our, our overall plan. That's great. And would you say that's the same for Red Bull around the world or is that more specific to what you guys are doing in Africa? I would say globally, you know, even more so with, with very developed markets, you know, in Europe and, and, uh, your kind of Western, um, uh, areas or regions, obviously your, your Middle East and Asia. So I would say globally, extremely important for, for all of our regions. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, when we're talking about sponsorships, I mean, sponsorships, that's really the, the, the revenue model for esports around the world. And because that's where, you know, you can look at different numbers, but the vast majority of revenue that, that an esport team or a streamer or a tournament is going to be certainly on the sponsorship side of things. That's, you know, they need the money to, to run things. Could you talk in a broader sense how you see sponsorship working in esports? What, what role does it play? Yes, I think one of the, the difficult topics for, for South Africans, I feel, over the last decade is is really, how can I say, 
explaining that value to a brand, you know, and really bringing that value to a brand, not the easiest thing. I think, um, uh, you know, in my, in my daily kind of, if you want to call it email management, uh, I get various requests on a daily basis to be a sponsored individual, whether, you know, I won't use Red Bull as the example. I'm sure this, this carries on to most brands. I'm sure there's a marketing agent, you know, at uh, various local companies that gets those emails every now and then. And I think it's just a lack of understanding of, of what the individuals can truly offer to a brand and the expectations. I think when you think of you know, major global athletes and, and what they offer the brand in the first place, I think is, is something that is forgotten locally. I think the first thing is I'm just going to get partnered with someone, slap a logo onto my social media pages, and it's job done. You know, whereas truly when you're partnered or, or sponsored with a brand is the first, I think the, the first um, question that should come to an individual is what can I actually do for the brand that I'm, that I'm asking to be involved with? You know, what can I do to add to their overall marketing campaign? What are their priorities that I can speak to? Um, I don't think that business mindset has been cultivated in the local gamer or, or esports athlete and not to be expected as I don't think the industry has really been in that space. You, you're not really being taught this at, at varsity or at the school level in any way. Um, you know, how to manage yourself as an individual brand, as a, as a personality. Obviously, sponsorship extremely important. Um, you don't have developed agencies here like your electronic sports league overseas that has you know multiple tournaments all over the world with various teams and employees and and certain you know revenue structures and streams that can bring in those funds to actually host your own events so for sure a lot of it is is based on gaining a sponsor locally in the past we've we've seen various you know sponsors coming involved on on esports projects and for sure maybe results weren't met but i think the expectation was maybe a little bit too high from all parties involved kind of using what What's happening on the global circuit and, and hoping that the same would happen here in South Africa, not realizing that there are still a lot of foundational elements that still need to be put in place. Um, consistent leagues, uh, consistent, you know, um, team structures where players are able to actually, you know, compete with each other over long periods of time and not seeing teams change regularly, getting chances to compete overseas and being exposed to those super high level of play that makes you realize exactly, you know, how much work really goes into being a, an internationally recognized top gaming athlete. Um, I think once that, that sense of treating yourself and, and envisioning yourself as an actual athlete and, and personal brand becomes, um, how can I say, top of mind or priority for local gamers, when that happens, I, see we'll, I feel we'll see a, a huge change in um, you know, how many sponsored players we, we see locally, you know, how much support events are getting from endemic and non-endemic brands. It really is just an understanding of we aren't really that much different to general sport. You know, we're really just a, a, another factor to entertain um, a younger audience. You know, it's really focusing on, on who the audience is, what we like locally, being locally relevant is a big one. I think we try and copy what's happening overseas, not realizing that it might not work for South Africans. So I think it's really a foundational issue at first. And then eventually we'll start seeing more consistent sponsorship of events. But you've spoken to a few individuals like your Nicholas Holdens. Um, you might have spoken to Barry Luzada, possibly from Metal State as well. But these are guys yeah, who... That, yeah, that's a, good, okay. that's a good idea. Fantastic. And these are guys who have been doing... What I was doing with Arena back in the day, but they've been continuing this through um, since then, you know, and, and really building that consistent foundation, something that Telcom has also been doing, but we need more like that, you know. So um, there's just, just so many great things that you're, you're bringing up here. And sure. so when you're talking about the people that are doing it right, that you think are, you know, 
how can people, where can people learn that? You're saying, okay, you know, it's not a university course you take or anything. What do you think the best strategy is for someone that's just starting out, kind of like you were describing your journey a little bit? It's like, okay, if you're like, you know, I want to be um, in esports and in a way that I am attractive to sponsors, where can I go learn that information? Yeah, so to your point, not readily available. Um, you know, from, from my perspective, the, the trick really was just completely in, in entrenching myself into the local market. So I was obviously a player. My dream was to be a player, an athlete, compete as a, a professional Call of Duty athlete overseas, but had to make that kind of uh, self or that moment of self-realization where I realized maybe I'm focusing in the wrong place for where South African gaming is at the current stage. Um, so I think first and foremost, kind of analyze what your skill is. You know, what truly are you good at that's outside of gaming and that you can apply to the gaming market? Um, number two, is it that you want to be a player or, um, sorry, I'm getting a call here, a work call. I just shut that down. So are you, are you a, a player interesting, interested to being a competitive athlete or do you want to be involved in the market as a, a tournament host? Um, you know, or, which, which or side a, of the screen do you want to be on? Exactly. I think first and foremost is identifying that. You know, do you want to be a player? Do you want to be involved as a influencer or opinion leader or a commentator? We have a few amazing local individuals, your Samantha Wrights, uh, your uh, um, Trevor Henrys, who have made an incredible, uh, successful career out of being in front of the camera, you know, as a host, a commentator. Um, is it behind the camera as a producer, a camera operator? There's actually a, a lot of if you want to call it positions available within the industry that aren't related to playing at all. So I think it's identifying your skill and then, you know, finding a place in the industry that you enjoy. So of course, if gaming is your passion, how can you contribute to the local gaming scene with your skill? Whether it's, um, as I mentioned, a commentator, a player, a producer, a tournament admin, um, all these, you know, possibilities are there from marketing to operations, even to the legal uh, side of things. Yeah. One of the things I always compared Esports too is the entertainment business. And when you think of entertainment, you know, right here in Burbank, right? You know, Disney, Warner Brothers are right here in the neighborhood. You always think of entertainment, you think of the actor. It's like the actor is like 1% of what goes on in, in, in creating good content. And so, and maybe the, the, my favorite job that I heard, we're talking to Eniola Dunn doing GamerX in, uh, out of Nigeria, their Tin Nation tour, they, they have drone operators. It's like, if you could, if you can be a drone operator at an esports event, I mean, the, you know, that, that, that can be pretty exciting right there. Yes, there's a job for you. Exactly. One of the things you also talked about that I wanted to maybe dive into a little bit more is on um, expectations. Because so many people just think, oh, you know, I, the sponsor should be giving me boatloads of money sort of thing. What do you think the expectations should be for someone that's just starting out and maybe hasn't had a lot of sponsors? What should they expect from a sponsor? So I think very much look at, compare yourself, I guess, to the individuals that maybe are already sponsored by the brand that you're interested in. Um, a, a good sort of, um, if you want to call it a, a way of, of, of approaching the, the process would be look at the stage or the phase of when this athlete was brought onto the team uh, or, or, or kind of a began the sponsorship journey, see where they were in their career, what they were offering on their channels prior to being involved and seeing if you're at that level. You know, I think a, a big, a big misunderstanding, um, 
locally is is, is seeing yourself uh, you know in a position where you've just started you're online every day you have a few people watching you uh, and you believe that you need a sponsor to get you started i think that's where a lot of the communication i i get comes from it's i want to get started i believe i'm going to be a fantastic individual can your brand sponsor me so it can get me to that stage quicker and that it's it sounds so um if you want to say uh, disheartening, but it, it kind of puts the almost the work onto the onto the brand. You know, it's like okay, so you need us to help you become successful. Um, whereas actually, what are you doing to help me either sell a product or um, you know make sure my brand is top of mind? Come to me with a strategy first and foremost. You know, I don't want to come to have to explain to you what I need from you. You should almost already know what is required from yourself as an individual for that specific brand. So obviously understanding the brand you're speaking to, what are they selling or, or what are they doing? Uh, how does your individual personality speak to that brand? Are you a natural brand fit? I think that's always something that should be looked at first is, is a little bit of self-reflection. Do you really believe that you're at that stage where you can put yourself on the same level of someone else who's already partnered with that brand if not what do you need to do to get there and if you believe that you maybe have the potential come to that that brand or or, or that marketing specialist with the thought out plan because um, as soon as you you put extra work on someone nowadays you know that's they're, they're, they're so afraid to to accept that because everyone's plate is very very full you know so as soon as uh you're adding more work it's you, your person's going to shy away very quickly that you feel like the the passion may be not be there they're almost looking for guidance uh instead of kind of a collaboration um so a big one would would be research, I guess. Go and see exactly who your, your, um, if you want to say your, um, geez, I'm, I'm getting the, losing my, 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 my vocabulary here, but your, um, your colleagues, you know, the, the people that are at your level. Do you compare and what do you need to do to get to that level to, to be considered? Yeah. One of the great things is everything is, I mean, if you're on the player side, everything's visible. I mean, you can go out and you can see what other people are doing. It's right out there. It's exactly in, in, in so many businesses. More than ever. Yeah, yeah. So, from a brand stand standpoint, what 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 are brands looking for, and how do they measure success? Do you think? So, a big one, I think, you know, and, and not even using where I work as an example, but I think just from a, a general consensus, is this genuine personality that is truly, credibly a lover of the product or the brand. You know, it's so hard to communicate to a gaming industry if it's not credible. I think we're one of the hardest, hardest audiences to convince. Uh, we're very, very critical. Uh, we want things to to speak to us as a gamer. We don't want to have to be kind of seen as a as a tool uh, to market. It's what are you doing for 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 us as an industry first? So I think um, that that's always a big one. Is is credibility is extremely important. Um, make sure you're not just coming for that that free sponsorship and you don't really relate to the brand at all i think being that credible gamer and natural fit to the sponsor or brand that you're looking for is is super important yeah are, are brands looking for are most brands looking for sales are they looking to sell a product or are they looking to build their brand more of a, a wreckage one of the things i uh was working with uh, disney over here on one of the big, uh, well, well, this has been a while now. It's Avengers Endgame when that came out on digital. Yes. And I was working with the marketing guys there about doing activations. And they're like, we got this much to spend and we want th- this many eyeballs. That's what's going to make us a hero. So for them, it was yeah. all just, it was eyeballs. 
in their Eyeballs, particular yeah. case. So are, 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 in your experience, are brands looking for, for, um, for exposure or are they trying to drive to actual sales? So when I think of um, there was, there was a, actually a, a phrase that was coined by um, a local uh, individual by the name of Gareth Woods. He also runs an, an agency. He's currently based actually in Canada, but was a South African up until recently. Uh, and he always coined the phrase that gaming is the biggest thing that nobody's ever heard of. You know, especially here in South Africa. So. We're all gaming. We're all playing. I wouldn't be surprised if every uncle, auntie has Candy Crush on their phones. You know, they're, they're a gamer at the end of the day. So it's, it's really finding a way to speak to those individuals. You're not going to sell a product if no one really knows about you in the space in the first place. So I think becoming top of mind and, and reaching those individuals as a brand for sure at the moment is priority. Um, it's, it's actually just becoming essentially relevant and top of mind to gamers at the moment, I would say is the major focus because as I said, you're not going to be selling much if no one really knows about you in the space in the first place. So being available and being present where gamers are, your, your big cons, your, your rages, your comic cons, those are always very strong because you have a, a massive focused gaming audience, but that only lasts for a weekend or two. It's, you know, what's happening throughout the year? What are those brands doing throughout the year to get into the face of a gamer where we reside, you know? And that's unfortunately at home in front of the PC. We don't spend too much time outside looking at billboards and, and, and those types of things. We're not very, we don't love, how can I say, conventional marketing we're, we're very much the the new breed i would say is 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 how to market to a game it definitely requires some uh, some innovation for sure but um reach and getting eyes most important for sure yeah what platforms do you see working the best for sponsors out there do people use twitch facebook gaming youtube is there any that that are, are particularly that are better than others in your part of the world yeah, I think the obvious ones globally would be those big gaming platforms, your, your, your Twitches, your YouTube gaming, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok becoming very popular, obviously, with kind of the younger age group, which is super key. Um, so those are your, your more popular ones. Obviously, when you think of South Africa, um, I mean, I personally watch Twitch almost every day, but purely on the basis that it's not locally cached as of yet, so we don't have local servers for Twitch, means that it can be a bit harder for a local audience to actually watch Twitch content purely on the basis that a lot of our users are still on mobile data. Um, uh, the connection obviously is a little bit slow, so you're unable to watch it at the highest quality. Whereas YouTube actually has local caching. So when I watch YouTube, I'm actually connecting to a local server watching live content, even if that content is being streamed from the US. So I would say from a, an African or South African perspective, YouTube gaming is probably a little bit stronger, even though Twitch has a more focused gaming audience. Um, but look, if you really had to look at it overall, they're equally important, but your Twitches, your YouTubes, the TikToks, the Instagrams, the Twitters, very important. Twitter, very strong in terms of conversational. Um, I would say one of the most powerful tools when it comes to just talking and creating conversation around a specific moment, an occasion, uh, a product uh, in the gaming space, for sure. Gamers are very active on Twitter. You also mentioned uh, earlier talking about traditional sports because I think, well, one thing I think, one thing you said about esports not being well-known is so true. I mean, it's like even, even here in the U S I mean, you're working in the entertainment business and the the studio side of things. It's like, yeah, they're, they would like to be involved in esports because they recognize the demographics and the size of the audience out there. They just don't know anything about it and they don't know who to talk to. 
And it's like, man, that's just, there's just such an opportunity here. And it, you know, that, that kind of, um, is probably true in, in many parts of the world, but we, t- you also touched on traditional sport. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to, to emulate what's happening over there in traditional sport on all kinds of levels. Do you find the same thing? Yes, very much so. I think when you look at probably your most successful global tournament properties, would you probably uh, could use Riot as a very good example and what they do with their League of Legends championship series. So that's kind of your first successful um, franchise league almost in esports. Um, and if you look at all the most successful sporting events in the world, they're all kind of run on the league format. So your uh, football leagues from the Premier League in, in England to the NBA in the US as well as your NFL, they're all run over a long season which allows you to tell the story and and have these familiar faces and things aren't changing very drastically every day and today this guy is the world champion tomorrow you never see him again you know because the league just changes or or, or rather these quick little tournament cup scenarios change quite quickly but i think as we start seeing these established um, almost franchise league formats becoming more popular and obviously structured well we've seen a few come and go uh, if we want to say for lack of a better word shady practices here and there as people find their way to really stru- you know structure these leagues correctly I think that's when we'll see a really strong surge of, of interest as these names become familiar. You know, you like to throw out the, the LeBron Jameses, you know, you, you're going to get those types of gamers when you're able to, able to follow a story throughout the year. And I think we've seen that through League of Legends with individuals like Faker, for example, from South Korea. Um, you might want to do a little Google on him, but in, in where he's from, he's a cult legend you know in in terms of the entertainment space he's a massive personality does so much for that industry um such a big name in in that region uh and we'll start seeing that become more popular in your your western um kind of regions as well as soon as we start getting these structured leagues um and formats in place as well as as you say from a production side you know the the quality of the broadcasts are becoming extremely top tier especially again I'm harping on Riot a lot here but their production is Incredible. They have a, a strong team of commentators that have been working together for years. So that culture and that familiarity is there. They understand the industry. And so as that changes, I think we'll, we'll start seeing a, a big surge in, view, surge in viewership. And also to the point you mentioned as you don't really, or these brands don't really know who to talk to, I think is, is realizing individuals like myself being 31 years old, you're kind of, the first few individuals, you know, to, to come into the industry as, as professionals, you know, that, that actually understand gaming, but also come in with a little bit of a, you know, a, a business background as well. Um, so I think as you start seeing these credible individuals who have been gamers their whole lives, even competitive gamers moving into these kind of uh, more corporate positions, that's when, when things will start to change for the positive as well. I think that's a big, big problem here in South Africa. I'm sure it's starting to improve in, in the West, but a big problem here is, is actual knowledgeable gamers being involved in these decision-making positions. Yeah. Yeah. We just talked this week, in fact, with uh, uh, two, two guests on women in games. And it, what was really fascinating there is they were, they're talking about um, getting more women into the gaming industry, but also to get the women in the gaming industry to to leadership roles that just aren't aren't there uh, right now. Uh, you're talking also about the production quality. I used to go over here to um, Blizzard Arena 
for Overwatch yes. League at the beginning. It was like, it's right here in Burbank. All the teams are so funny because every game was played right down here. And you'd go awesome. down there and, and the production quality was unbelievable. I mean, they used to give away Incredible. free tickets when they had empty sp- seats and I just walked down there literally. And so you go down Incredible. there and you'd, you'd watch, I mean, the, the production value with the shoutcasters and, and everything. And so, so certainly from that side of it, they, they, they understood that. And you're also talking about <clears throat> with traditional sports, you, you mentioned LeBron. It's like, it's, it's player driven. It's celebrity driven in, in such case. I also think I'm going to ask you the, the, when you're talking about the team, the league structure, it's also easier for sponsors, isn't it? Instead of, uh, let's let's do one event. Let's go through all, everything to get one event, or let's get you know uh, together and do an entire season. Isn't that easier from a sponsor standpoint? Most definitely. You know, you you have this kind of consistent structure. Uh, it's not a once-off big flash in the pan, throw in a big sum of money and you have two days of, of you know, true kind of um, communication and messaging around your product during the event. Whereas the league, you're able to build a story throughout an entire season, you know, to your point, you know, create these kind of uh, emotional touch points with individuals and players that, that people follow throughout the season. They're, they attach themselves to the teams. You start seeing, you know, teams selling merchandise and, and all these uh, kind of uh, revenue streams become, become a possibility you know through a more long form structured scenario uh, bringing in teams that also have that you know fundamental requirement of a foundation behind them you know a, a proper organizational team a pr team behind these these um, you know small little team brands which you just don't see nowadays most of the time it's five guys that get together they find some success in the local leagues and and now they want to you know f- find a way to become an international pro but they don't have everyone anyone working on their pr or, or just basic team management you know so it's it's these types of structured systems that need to be in place could you talk a little bit about this time frame involved in sponsorship because so so often people are like oh we, we just got accepted to go to evo in um in las vegas we need money to go there this weekend sort of thing you know you know that story can be told over and over again for all kinds of different people but um not to single anyone out but it's like what, what's a good time frame when you you um, you should be looking for sponsors? Yes, yeah, so I think and I, I can use an example that that I worked on locally uh, with a local FIFA athlete, you know, and 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 was keeping an eye on him for up to two over two years, you know, working with the individual as a as a friend of the brand, you know, supporting on the ground, whether it be with light, you know, tool support. So is it new hardware here and there? Um, you know, is it uh you know getting to a local event? But that all comes through the actual individual first making that first point of contact, kind of explaining their situation. Obviously because again, speaking to the point of having someone who understands the scene being involved in the brand I was here luckily and was already very knowledgeable of the individual. So I knew who he was. I knew how well he performed. I knew he was a top talent. But from there, it's again, going back to the point of, is the individual a brand fit? You know, do they, they speak to, to the brand correctly? It doesn't even matter if you're the best player in the region. If you don't fit with the brand at all, there's no point, you know, because at the end of the day, it's going to be a forced relationship. So 
we spent that time getting to know the individual, um, you know, really getting an idea for, for, for the possible longevity of the career. You know, is the individual really invested over a long period of time? Does their interest waver once they're done with school? Does their focus change? So it can take time. I think the position that you are in your life as well is very important. So if you're in your late teens and you're about to go to varsity, you know, do you truly want to be an esports athlete and are you going to prioritize that over studies? That's, that is a question, you know, that, that does, does need to get asked, you know, or are you someone who's very good at balancing your, your, your time between studies and sports? And that's only something that we can find out over time, getting to know the individual. Um, so I would say it, it's very, very, um, case by case, uh, to your point in Evo. Look, if, if someone locally had to win a qualifier, um, to go to Evo, and again, we knew the individual was a top talent, we might take the leap, you know, and, and support them without even having, how can I say, brand requirements behind it. It's almost a, a scouting exercise. So I think it's, 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 it's realizing it's though that you really, exactly, but it's, it's knowing that your, your, your performance really is at that level. You can self-reflect and tell yourself, look, I know that I can be a top 32 athlete at the world championships and uh, confidently believing that doing the research, competing against those players and understanding the level of difficulty and then approaching the brand, um, you know, there, there'll be a, a stronger chance for support there. Um, especially again, if the person who's working within the brand does understand the scene and, and knows the level of play, you know, that's, that's the advantage of having someone who, who does understand the industry. So on both sides, there's, there's obviously the, the player coming to the brand with the correct sort of research done, but then also the brand from their side actually understanding the industry. So it can be difficult. Um, I, I do understand the the pain a local gamer goes through in trying to get a sponsor, for sure. I was in that in that position ten years ago, but I was there. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. I think it's it's a ro- it's a road that everyone that's successful has gone down. If you're if you're out there looking for sponsors, if you're on the esports side, and um, are there are there certain sponsors that you should avoid? That maybe it's like, ah, oh, man, they have some good money, but I, sh- yeah, maybe in the long run. And I'm not, I'm not asking for particular companies or things like yes, that. Yes. But, but just from a sponsor, but so many times, people are just so hungry and and they need money, so you know they just need the money. But are there something, some, some things that they should eh, maybe shy away from? Yeah, I think the a big one lesson learned, and I, I can put myself in the same position, is is understanding legal contracts. So that is something that is very fresh in the mind of a, a, a teenager, a young adult. I was completely inexperienced, you know, when when I made a few business decisions, which ended putting myself in a difficult spot as well, which just is an unnecessary effort that you need to work on afterwards when maybe the relationship ends. So first and foremost, you know, if if you're gonna gain a, a cash sponsorship it's very hard to turn down no matter who the sponsor is but do your due diligence on the contract you know make sure you're contacting a family lawyer or a local p- professional to go through that contract you know with a fine tooth comb make sure you understand your expectations from the the partner as well as the partner's expectations of you you know so that for me is first and foremost make sure there's a a solid legal contract in place and if that's in place, any sponsor is really trustworthy because there will be, you know, legal ramifications, ways for you to, to fight back. So I think, um, I can't, you know, in my mind think of a brand right now that just goes out there and, and does harm to the scene. I think it's just, a uh, on a relationship to relationship, you know, a kind of, um, a thought process there. Make sure that 
you go into that relationship with a contract in place, especially if there's time requirements, um, you know, posting certain amounts of media on your channels. You know, it's, it's effort. It's time that goes into editing that content, you know, time that goes into practicing um, and make sure that the value is there for you from the, the brand you, you, you're talking to, but also vice versa. And there's a solid contract in place. I think that is the most important thing, just having things in, in black and white as, as, you know, normal as that sounds, it's, it's forgotten drastically in, in gaming, especially here in South Africa. We've seen some unfortunate cases in the past, um, you know, as a spectator. First thing you can do to avoid that is just get the, 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 the agreement, the deal in black and white and, and make sure you're going past a, a legal professional. Yeah. That's, that's really good advice. And, you know, just get an adult involved in the process. In, 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 in some cases, or, or uh, another pair of eyes. Now exactly. you're you're in South Africa, but do you work? Do you spend a lot of time in Sub-Saharan Africa as well? As far as you know, from a work standpoint, I would like to spend more time. Uh, I think when we when I you know started in my position here back in late 2018, early 2019, it was you know the world was great, it was fantastic. There was no global pandemic, <laughs> and uh, we already kind of put some some plans in place to to really create this um, you know content, continental uh, ecosystem you know within our, our our region. So obviously, I have myself here in, in South Africa. Uh, we have um, you know gaming. I wouldn't say gaming specialist yet in the other other regions, but active esports programs that are starting to build. You know, so it's really wanting to create this African ecosystem between all of our offices. Um, so yes, there'll be more time spent traveling around the continent. Very, very confident of that. Would have liked to have done it more often. Um, we actually speaking to the, that individual you, you mentioned earlier, um, uh, Queen Arrow. Um, she was actually in, in South Africa last year for Red Bull Hit the Streets. We, we invited her down and, and that was really the first time we've had some, some, uh, you know, if you want to call it intercontinental, um, relationship building with, with our local players and, and players from other regions with our local offices as well, making sure we can get the athlete here and support her correctly. Uh, and that's something we'd like to see more often from all of the African countries, really starting to build a, an African esports fraternity, which we can then take to the the rest of the world yeah what we keep hearing from people in africa is um servers talking about the difficulty of being you know, the distance i mean sometimes people people just don't realize how far away you know especially south africa is from from other parts of the world and Correct. we're talking um I, I always like the story of anubis going to uh the uh red bull event in uh, Spain or Portugal a couple of years ago. Yes, and it's like, yes. and one last of the things year, was, actually, yeah. what's that? It was actually last year. Yes. Yes. I, a great documentary out there. I keep, keep talking about it, but one of the things seemed to be is um, because they, they were playing with slower ping rates when they were in Egypt. It's like, then when they got to the event, it's like, man, things are so much fat. You know, there was, there was a certain advantage that they, I mean, they were really good for all kinds of reasons. That wasn't why they won. But yes, yes, no, but, but you know, talking to like with, with Cholwe, talking with people in Zambia and how hard it is on a professional level to deal with ping rates. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what the status is and what maybe the future is for servers for ping rates in, in Africa that you see? For sure. So yes, 
fully agree to your point. One of our biggest problems, I think, in in just seeing you know, this this true explosion of the scene locally is is the lack of inclusion in in the global circuit, and that's purely because of our our location. So um, again, South Africa probably maybe the worst of all because we're all the way down south. Um, you know, speaking to Anubis, the individuals obviously being based in Egypt, they actually have a really really strong advantage when it comes to the rest of the African region. Based on the fact that they can connect to European servers with, with quite low latency, uh, in terms of when you compare it to the rest of the country. So very nice if you're in North Africa to be able to compete with, with our European kind of, uh, uh, gaming, um, markets. But yes, when it comes to Africa, still, we're still behind. Uh, we're always waiting for this dream of, of Amazon to drop their, their servers here and, and really open them up to gaming. We obviously have AWS in the region, but hasn't been opened up to gaming servers yet, as far as I know. When that does happen, for sure. We'll see a surge in local interest, um, especially South Africans, for example, being able to compete with with regions on the continent. You know, I can't really even I can't compete with my friends in in Nigeria, for example. The connection is is unplayable. A lot of the time, you you see us being routed to Europe and then back down to Nigeria or to Middle East and back. Very seldomly do you connect straight from South Africa to Nigeria, just because of the way the kind of um, undersea cables work. You know the way it's structured. So. Very difficult for us to integrate kind of the, the African regions with each other. Um, one thing that I've been harping on very strongly over the last couple of years is just the potential of fighting games. So I've always been a shooting game fan. Call of Duty has always been my, my number one game, but I've really grown a, a strong love for, for fighting games over the last five to six years as well because of their potential in the region. Um, and when you, we're looking at how these systems are being developed, um, with current releases, so looking at games like Mortal Kombat, even Dragon Ball Fighter Z will have this new rollback netcode implemented into their game. Uh, and then next year, when you're looking at your Street Fighter 6s, for example, looking to launch um, towards the middle of next year, we'll, we'll have these systems built into the game that will actually allow us to compete with the European region, Middle East as well, with a far lower latency. And, and we've seen that successfully implemented um, in the previous games. I mentioned, as well as Guilty Gear Strive has become a very popular fighting game globally because of this rollback netcode. So from games, you know, being built in a way that supports uh, gaming over long distances with high latency, as well as the implementation of local servers, it'll almost be like a double-edged sword. You know, when both of these become a factor, uh, we'll see a, a strong increase in, in interest locally, for sure. And, and access to, to things like data also, not exactly easy for South Africans. You know, data is very expensive, and that, that ties into the server question as well. You know, actual access to the internet and all the hardware you need to, to be a pro gamer, yeah. One question we ask a lot of people is, is mobile the future of uh, esports in Africa, do you think? And if so, how's that, how will that impact um, or how is that impacting sponsorship? Yeah, so I, I wanna, I'm not going to you know, label it as the future. I would say a, a huge part of gaming becoming a, a big, you know, uh, can I say a big industry in Africa would be mobile. For sure, we're one of the highest in terms of um, mobile penetration, the entire continent in, in comparison to global markets. Almost everyone has a cell phone from your 
early you know generation smartphones to your your current super fancy super fancy options you know games for sure that's that's going to be the first access point for for local gamers um but from there the interest i think grows very quickly to expanding your your kind of portfolio into computer and console where the global market I would say is, is supported the, or rather supports, uh, esports the most is on those more, the console tournaments, the, the PC tournaments with, with mobile for sure coming in very strong. I think they'll almost be on an equal, equal playing field. Uh, but mobile gaming will be that strong catalyst to obviously begin the, the journey here for, for Africa into kind of the, the rest of the world and competing with the rest of the world. But again, it's, it's access, you know, that's, that's our big issue, access to the hardware, access to data and, uh, you know, try various mobile tournaments here in South Africa, you still have that issue of data, but for sure, access to the hardware is is a lot higher in mobile and will be for sure the the top catalyst to to really growing the industry locally. Yeah. Let's say if you were uh, let's say if you were um, setting up an, a mobile esports tournament, would you have more difficulty or less difficulty finding sponsors? Do you think than if you were doing a PC console event? I think again speaking. Yeah, I think, I think very much speaking to that, that point of being credible to, to the partners you speak to. So it might sound so simple, but obviously doing a mobile tournament, you're going to get a lot more interest from a, a mobile, you know, ISP. So let's say yeah. in South Africa, we have your, your Vodacoms, your MTNs, you know, it's going to be far easier for you to speak to a Vodacom or an MTN for a mobile tournament than speaking to them. Uh, you know, based on something that's computer, you know, or, or console based where you're connecting to a fiber provider who's, you know, unrelated to them. Um, whereas on mobile, you're straight down that, that, that alley. Uh, so I would say it's very dependent on the, the brands you're speaking to. But again, you, you have the same problems and, and opportunities on, on both sides. So I would say, I would say equal there. Um, when it comes to participation, you know, if you're able to, to speak to, a large audience, let's say in South Africa, we have a, a very strong FIFA audience. You know, of course, soccer is, is a huge, um, industry here in South Africa, our most popular sport for sure. That's why you see a you lot of activity it, you in said, the you FIFA said the space. Word soccer. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, that's what you call it in the US as well, right? One of our familiarities. <laughs> I'm sure our friends in Europe aren't going to be too happy with that one, but hey, we will own it. <laughs> yes. Yes. So when do you, when do you think, um, if FIFA steps away from, Esports steps away uh, from uh, from the, their contracts. Do you think that's going to make a difference in in the future of of um, soccer esports? I think so. I, I, sorry, geez, my words got mixed. I think so. You know, um, I'm not going to be able to say exactly how that change will come. I think a, a big interest from my perspective is seeing how the rights are going to work. Obviously, when you think of FIFA parting from EA, are are we going to be playing a, 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 a soccer or football game next year where, you know, EA doesn't have the rights to the team? So, am I going to be able to play as? you know, a Manchester United or an LA Galaxy and is Cristiano Ronaldo going to be Cristiano Ronaldo in the team? You know, I think that's, that's the one question for me. And then also looking at the relationships that, that FIFA, that FIFA has and, and the brand kind of sponsorships and partners that they have, which are kind of globally almost locked to the brand. Um, I'm curious to see how that opens up for, for other, you know, brands that are interested in the FIFA space, you know, and uh, not not being, or how can I say it, not being uh, locked out due to the red tape that FIFA has around all of their global sponsors for for their, you know, on-field soccer as well as their, their actual gaming gaming arm as well. 
I think if, so for think sure, a, there'll be a change, but curious to see how it pans out. Yeah. Think of from a branding standpoint, how FIFA, you just say FIFA and it's like, which, which doesn't mean anything. And everyone knows exactly what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. It, it's exactly. Like, same thing here in the US, NASCAR. I mean, NASCAR is such an unbelievable marketing engine. I mean, it, it is just, it just always amazes everyone. And one last question we ask everyone here is, do you think the Olympics should include esports in their official? I know the Commonwealth Games just had a little bit of success with their, with, with a few different titles. It wasn't in the official Commonwealth Games, um, uh, program, but what do you think the, about the Olympics? I think so. Very much so. I mean, it's, it's a team sport. It's also an individual sport across, you know, various uh, disciplines. I think that is really key is understanding the most relevant disciplines to the Olympics. I think when you think of gaming, you've got hundreds of games that you could choose from that have competitive kind of communities behind them. So I think that's going to be the hardest part is choosing the games that are relevant to the Olympics and, and would make sense. Um, you know, touching on some games and, and their level of violence as well is, is, a, is a tough topic as much as it doesn't seem very drastic to us. But when you're running around in a shooting game and, you know, you're pulling the trigger on someone's head, that's not exactly someone that you can market in the Olympics, in my opinion. That's going to be difficult. Hey, um, you should you, you should have been yeah. over here at Dis you should have been over here at Disney when we were trying yeah. to sell sell them activations for Avengers Endgame. Like, yeah. We could do we could do cartoony violence. You know, we could do an Overwatch, a Fortnite kind of thing. But, but yeah, yes. yeah, Call of Duty is like no, no, we we didn't even, even bring that. So exactly. Yeah, so I think you, we've seen a, a few sort of um, uh, small little teases of, of, of esports being involved at the Olympics with Rocket League, if I'm not mistaken, uh, as well as Street Fighter. Um, so the, these are the, the, the spaces where I can see potential, you know, whereas in Street Fighter, for sure, it's combat. But again, it's, it's cartoony. You're not seeing blood all over the screen. Uh, you have combat sports at the Olympics, uh, boxing, for example, um, in a controlled environment. But uh, the hyper-violent games, of course, are going to be difficult. And then also speaking to the games that have the largest global audience. You know, I think that's the big one to ensure that your results are accurate in, in choosing the best player in the world. And that's going to come from your most popular games. So again, throwing your FIFAs in the hat. Um, games like um, Rocket League, which is becoming very popular. Then fighting games, you know, which fighting game are you going to pick? You know, there's so many. Um, which one is the one that will credibly live at the Olympics? You can't choose all of them, you know. So I think it's a, a problem they're going to have. But it's pretty it safe to live. say they it's pretty safe to say they will not be using Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Very safe to say, yes. <laughs> That's just like, whoa. <laughs> Love the game, but no chance. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about in just outside the Olympics, even in in sponsorship? Do you think that uh, from the brand side, and not just necessarily where you're working, but just for for other big brands out there, are they conscious of of the amount of violence, of the appro appropriateness, even though Definitely. it might be popular for the demographic? Uh, is there still maybe some hesitation about some games versus others? Because also you were talking Definitely. about your interest in fighting games, and that's something that that could come into play there. Correct, definitely. So, of course, it, it would be you know brand to brand. Um, I think you'll 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 see some some brands are have no problem you know partnering with uh, combat sports, for example, uh, where a little bit of you know, you know blood may be shed. Um, so, I think it's it's brand specific. Speaking to your point of Disney, of course, uh, speaking to brands like um, your Nintendo's in the world, knowing them very well, they 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 have a very strong 
you know, youth audience. I think that's you know, having that understanding is, is who engages with the brands in, in, in predominantly. And obviously, if you're going to partner with an event or choose a game that is very violent, uh, you know that these younger eyes are going to be seeing, you know, this, this type of content. And, and that's what these brands will definitely try and avoid. And advertising becomes a, a huge factor as well. Uh, I think, uh, something that we've, we've seen very actively over the last few years is, is the relationship between advertisers on your, your bigger content platforms like YouTube and Twitch and, advertisers removing themselves from the platforms very quickly when you know sexual content becomes too prevalent violent content becomes too too prevalent um uh, the way you know uh, individuals communicate on these platforms is the the you know is it demeaning to certain demographics you know so it gets very complicated and with gaming and kind of the ease of access to just getting your content online nowadays and just playing a game releasing a game onto these um you know like steam for example it's very easy to get your game listed on these platforms, um, but is it safe for a young audience? And I, and I think brands are becoming very aware and far more, um, you know, clued up with this as well. Uh, so for sure, it's, it's a huge part of it. It's brand to brand. It's very specific to who you're getting involved with. So again, do the research. You know, if you're a tournament organizer looking to, a Mortal, to do a Mortal Kombat tournament, look at the brands that have supported Mortal Kombat in the past, even on a global platform, you know. Um, and if you're someone looking to do something more friendly like a a mario kart tournament then you know your 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 brand options are, are far more broad but i think it's again it's just research um see who you believe or see which brands you believe you know fit to that level of, of violence they do exist um again it's not saying that a violent game produces a violent individual i've been playing call of duty all my life and i like to consider myself as a pretty relaxed person um but again, it's at the end of the day, it's it's what visuals are you exposing to a younger audience and uh, brands are very aware of that for sure. I think this wraps back to what you started out with early on when you're talking about know, know yourself, know what it is that you can offer someone. Don't go in and offer something that that is an obvious if you're if you're looking for a sponsorship, don't go and try to find something that's not um, not appropriate because it just shows you that it shows them that you haven't done your 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 research on exactly they realize very quickly that you don't understand the industry you know and um and it's we're getting to know and to the point we made earlier of these kind of individuals starting to find themselves in these corporate positions that is it is becoming a very prevalent thing so you're not talking to a random marketer who's just trying to find their way into gaming you know it's someone who really understands the industry they're online every day they know which games are popular they know who the best players are uh, they know what kind of prize money is, is on the line globally and and what athletes are being paid in sponsorship so realize that awareness is growing in these brands and you do need to re do your research before making the approach for sure are there any sponsors out there who's the most surprising sponsor of esports that you've seen is there anyone that, that comes to mind that it's like wow i never thought they would have be spending money to reach this audience but they seem to be doing it for what for who knows why is there anyone that comes to mind so I think I would say from a, I guess a personal experience, um, I had an actual, a local food retailer, uh, partner with one of our tournament agencies, uh, by the name of Food Lovers Market at the time. And they're actually 
mostly in veg veg food so fruit and veg which is <laughs> very 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 interesting know, know your know your market know your customers. exactly it's it's realizing that young adults purchase you know we we're, we're in retail stores nowadays and we have spending money you know we're, we're young adults that are going into the shops now and and buying food so who are we going to choose as our food provider and it's probably going to be the guys who support gaming so uh, i think that's that's a big one um you know seeing local supermarkets being involved globally seeing that as well your your walmarts i've seen um another interesting wall i think not very much retail but animal farm i think was was uh involved there as well so yeah kit cats as well very very involved but again that's that's kind of a, a sugary snack so probably not too too far far off center but yeah i would say those kind of local retailers from a completely non-endemic space you know fruit and veg food that was that was the biggest surprise for me locally um but yeah it is it is getting weird and wacky and i think gaming just allows that you know it's it's really open to everyone everyone is a gamer uh, at the end of the day it's i'm gonna go buy the product from the brand that supports the thing that i love you know and, that, and that's gaming for sure yes yes it, it, and some of the most interesting stories and, and certainly some of the stories we're, we're going to be bringing out hopefully in, in season two here of the podcast are some of the really creative people. There was a guy in Kenya in Nairobi that was just doing some off the wall things, but he was a go getter and that's, and, and he was being successful because he was out there probably talking to the, the, the food lovers um, of the world. Hey, look, I really appreciate you taking some time here to talk to us about sponsorship, which is so important to esports all over the place, um, all around the world. I mean, no matter where you are, you know, you're probably looking for a sponsor someplace. Um, where can people find you online? What's the best place? Yes, yeah, so you can find me um, um, at Luca Tacconi on on most of my socials. So just L U C A T U double C O N I, and that's your Twitter, your Instagrams, your Facebooks. If you do want to email me on my personal mail, you can get me on Luca L U C A at robohobo dot com. That's actually my gaming alias, so <laughs> that's the tag there. So if you want to ask me any questions, uh, uh, you know, get some insight in the local industry, my my email is always open. So feel free, we'll, please. We'll put the those links links in there hey again i appreciate it we I invite everyone to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts follow us on social media that way you're going to be notified as soon as the next episode is available we have some really really good guests just like luca coming up in season two and again looking the, forward to the, the theme of of, uh, of season two is follow the money so thanks for listening this is the gamers change lives podcast play games create jobs change lives Awesome. <laughs> You've just heard the Gamers Change Lives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed, do so right now so that you can stay up to date with episodes as soon as they're uploaded. And so you can hit the ground running on changing your esports adventure forever. You can also visit us at GamersChangeLivesPodcast.com. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening.